our third and final segment today. I think I would like to air a program originally was heard on July 3rd, 2003. An interview we conducted with Barbara Dixon of the Museum of Television and Radio. I was able to uh, speak to Richard C. Hodlett, CBS journalistic legend here on, uh, on uh, CAP Radio on Tuesday of this week. And it reminded me that when I was last down there, after we'd interviewed him on, on this show, I wanted to take a look at some of these programs he did with Ed Murrow back on CBS. And so I was able to go to the Museum of Television and Radio, pull those up, take a look at it. And uh, it was fascinating viewing. And I really can't recommend highly enough that if any of you are down there in the LA, Beverly Hills area, to please go check out this museum. But at any rate, let's, uh, let's air the talk we had with Barbara Dixon. That, of course, was the theme to The Honeymooners, which for my money is probably the most elegant piece of music that ever graced a television program. It's fitting music, I think, to serve as an introduction to our next guest, Barbara Dixon, who is the director of the Museum of Television and Radio right here in Los Angeles, California. I know many of you listening visit Los Angeles regularly, and perhaps some of you are from there. Most people I know don't know about this museum, and uh, I think it's really a darn shame. Uh, When I was in Los Angeles earlier this month, I had a chance to uh, once again visit it. I'm as impressed as I always have been. So I thought we would uh, would do well to ask Barbara Dixon, the director of the museum, to tell us a bit about this wonderful facility. Barbara, just how large is your collection? We have 125,000 programs in the collection to date and growing by the minute. Wow. How does that break down in terms of radio versus television versus commercials? Or do- Well, it's pretty close between television and radio. We have about 55,000 television programs and about 45,000 radio programs and 25,000 commercials and ads. Now, I understand that, uh, that it was William Paley of CBS that first got the ball rolling for your museums? That's correct. There is a story which I like to tell because I think it goes sort of to the heart of the museum about Bill Paley, and I hope it's true. Um, Allegedly, before the museum existed, he turned to one of his assistants one day in the early days of CBS News. At that time, as you remember, Edward R. Murrow was really the golden spot in uh, the CBS roster at the time. And he turned to his young aide and said, so where are we storing the Edward R. Murrow shows? And the aide said, excuse me? And he said, well, the, the shows, the Edward R. Murrow shows, where do we archive them? And the assistant looked befuddled and finally turned to his boss and said, Mr. Paley, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And Paley got a little bit excised at this point and said, well, I don't know how much clearer I can make it. Where are we keeping these wonderful, memorable broadcasts? And the young aide had to turn to Bill Paley and say, well, I'm sorry, sir. Tape is so expensive these days. We tape over them. We don't keep them at all. And from that moment on, Bill Paley was so appalled that none of these absolutely historic broadcasts had been archived by CBS that he began the idea of creating the Museum of Television and Radio to archive television excellence, just like those early Edward R. Murrow shows. 
Edward R. Murrow was in, in the 1950s, so I guess mm-hmm. Paley knew, like, probably, I guess, late 50s, early 60s, there was a problem. I think so, and it took a little time to get us up and running, um, but uh, we were conceived, and, and the original building in New York was built in the 70s, but he, from the beginning, I think, uh, understood an obligation to share the excellence in television with the general public, and um, therefore really has been the, the, the mainstay behind the concept, original conception for the museum. Yeah. Well, I don't think that, you know, you're nearly as well-known as you should be. Um, so maybe you could just explain to our listening audience how, how this works. You know, the public, it's open to the public like any museum. And what happens when a member visits? It is open to the public. We're a little bit different from a normal museum because if you go into an art museum, you're going to see an exhibition of paintings hanging on the wall. And we are more about the visual medium as opposed to coming in and seeing a physical presence of a painting or a sculpture. So our museum has a variety of things that you can do when you visit. You can come in and participate in our theater by looking at our screening series that we might be running at the time. Right now, for example, we're running a screening series called Gen X, which goes back to the television shows that were seen on the air in the 70s. So from the Brady Bunch to Charlie's Angels, it goes back and looks at some of those early television shows from the 70s, part of that Gen X generation's favorite television shows. You can have an opportunity either to sit in the theater and look at the screening series, or you can go into the library, which in the Los Angeles Museum is on our second floor. We're open to the public. There's no charge of admission to either the screening series or to use the library. You come up to our second floor library, and you go into uh, our little computers, and individuals can sit down and look at our collection. And if you know what you want, you can simply call it up by entering it into the computer you don't know what you want, we have a couple of windows that might make suggestions to you in terms of the most popular programs that the average person comes in and asks to see. Once you identify what you want to see, you um, go to a viewing console, and if there's just one of you, you can sit by yourself, or we have lots of families that come in and see programs together, so we can have as many as four of you sitting in a console watching programming all together as a family activity. And you can watch everything from the early shows like I Love Lucy to some of the more contemporary shows like Friends. I've done this myself, and it certainly is a a very enjoyable thing you can do in some of your your favorite shows. I think we all have favorite shows from uh, when we're young. Absolutely. And I know that uh, I was able to see some things in there, like That Was the Week That Was Mm -hmm. from the early 60s, the Jack Parr, Steve Allen. Absolutely. And uh, and I guess you just got the gamut covered. We do. We have everything from entertainment programming to news coverage to some of our most, most historic events like Apollo 11. It's really spectacular in terms of the breadth of both entertainment and public affairs programming that the museum has. We should. We have a very uh, web-savvy audience out there. We should mention your website, I think, um, probably more than once. Uh, where can people go for more information? www.mtr.org. Okay. And, uh, of course, we're, we're a college and community station up here in, in Davis, and a lot of communication majors may be listening. And this is a, a heck of a resource, I think, for them. How, how might they take advantage of what you have to offer? Well, we think we're a great resource for anyone involved in television, both from students and communications to just fans to actual writers to costume directors. Uh, just to give you an example of the kind of um, possible uses you might have of looking at our collection, we recently had uh, Tom Green and Jimmy Kimmel in our library researching great talk shows and variety shows as part of research they were doing for their new talk show. We frequently have actors in here looking um, at previous um, episodes of things that they think might inspire them for future roles or current roles that they're undertaking. We're a, we're a great resource for students that want to study the medium. 
So if we see some uh, prominent uh, comics uh, recycling some old material, we might know where they got it. might know, absolutely. (laughs) Well, um, when I was in Los Angeles last time, we were, uh, it was uh, involved with a commemoration of Robert Kennedy's uh, unfortunate uh, assassination Mm -hmm. 35 years ago. I had a couple questions about about things as they'd happen, and we were able to go over to the museum and get contemporaneous uh, coverage that answered the questions, and that was just, uh, was really an amazing resource. Well, that's a wonderful thing to hear, and that's exactly what we want the public out there to know, that they can come and participate and hopefully use the museum in exactly the same way that you did. Talk a bit about radio. One time I was there, and you and uh, in the listening room, you had a, um, a radio broadcast of Orson Welles talking to H.G. Wells, of course. Yes. And, of course, uh, Wells was famous for his dramatization on the Mercury Theater of, of Wells' novel. And uh, this is something you don't find just anywhere. Well, I think that's right. We have a wonderful radio listening room in both museums in Los Angeles and in New York. People can come in and listen to historic radio broadcasts. We also have in both museums a uh, radio studio, so we frequently have radio programs that broadcast live from the museum, which is also great. People who come into the museum frequently can come in and sit and listen. You mentioned the most popular uh, popular broadcast. What are, what are some examples of things that people just con- consistently want to come in and, and listen to? Well, I have to say in terms of the television programs, it's always I Love Lucy. Really? Without, you know, without exception, our most popular still is I Love Lucy. That's, that's interesting. The first and still maybe the greatest uh, situation comedy that TV's ever seen. I think that's exactly true. Any others? Um, there's a, if you come in, you can call up a, a list of the most popular programs on there, and they're predictable. The Honeymooners is also popular. Sure. It tends to be comedy. And you do have, of course, The War of the Worlds, if someone wanted to hear that. We certainly do. And I, I understand from your, from your literature, you've got even like uh, some really rare broadcasts of um, what would be considered rare. I mean, things you couldn't get just anywhere, like FDR's fireside chats. And yes, that's correct. And we have some, actually, in, in the television collection, we have some things that have actually never seen the air before, have never been actually broadcast. So you can come into the library and, and see there was, for example, a, an NBC biography that um, has never been aired before. We have some never-seen programs from I Love Lucy that were actually never aired. So uh, it's kind of fun to come and see things that actually never made it to, the, to be broadcast. And we're particularly proud of the fact that we've been, we have our wonderful curators who spent a lot of time trying to ta- track down missing broadcasts. And several years ago, we were able to find the one missing episode of The Honeymooners, and that was something that had been missing for a long time, and they were able to research it and get out there and manage to get their hands on it. One of the original Honeymooner episodes that just got lost. Jackie Gleason very cleverly kept uh, numerous copies for later in life that I guess he sold for quite a handsome... uh... Yes, he did. Yes, he did. We have recently been able to find um, uh, the second half of a television, the first television broadcast of 12 Angry Men. Before that time, we had the first episode of that, but the second episode had been lost for many, many years after its original broadcast. We were able to find that second episode of 12 Angry Men. We also found the original radio broadcast coverage of the Lindbergh baby kidnapping trial, which had been missing since its original uh, airing many, many, many years ago. So you're constantly on the search for... Constantly on the search. And you're a nonprofit organization. We're a nonprofit organization. So uh, we can be, feel free to plug you uh, at, uh, limitlessly on, on our non commercial station. <laughs> well, we absolutely appreciate that. <laughs> um, people, you can also, I guess, have some other features that, that uh, even above and beyond what are available to the general public. Well, I think one of the most interesting things about the museum is that uh, one of the functions that we do is we provide uh, interpretation of the collection. And we do that through our screening series and through our public seminars. Uh, we have wonderful seminars at both museums in Los Angeles and New York, and these seminars can be on 
current television shows, such as Alias or Six Feet Under. They can be uh, reunion shows. We had one recently on with the, the cast and the producer of Laugh-In, mm-hmm. with all the original actors on stage with us. Um, we're having a reunion. That we're having a reunion show this fall with Get Smart with Don Adams and Barbara Feldon. We go in the range mm-hmm. from from dealing with television shows and entertainment to public affairs uh, programming as well. And we had a whole series of very interesting seminars right after September 11th, which dealt with the coverage, both broadcast coverage and the response of the creative community to September 11th. So that part of the the programming that we do here is, I think, wonderful for the general public to be able to interpret the collection that we have. Yeah, I think any budding journalist would certainly want to go back and look at things like, you know, the 20th century series done in the 60s with Walter Cronkite mm-hmm. or, or the original biography with Mike Wallace, which I still remember fondly. Absolutely. Well, Barbara Dixon from the Museum of Television and Radio, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Doug. All right, that about wraps it up for today's show. This program was produced by Mr. Edward McMillan, as they always are. I would like to recommend any of you that want to hear what we're doing over there on Insight um, to go take a listen at capradio.org. We'll be over there until October 7th, at which point we'll be able to resume my normal full-time duties here at this station. We're working on bringing you some dynamite stuff here late in the month of October, and uh, I believe we're going to be able to deliver. And I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next Thursday, and now stay tuned for Todd.